On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about Hamilton's proposed LRT in this way. Many cities, a number of cities anyway, around this country that have got LRTs, Ottawa and Edmonton in particular, Waterloo to different reasons, have really struggled. They have been a mess. How would we guarantee that if we were to get an LRT, that it would not fall into the same trap of costly troublesome mistakes that have been plaguing these other ones. We're also going to chat about abuse that politicians take on social media. I know not everyone is sympathetic to politicians. I get it. But there does seem to be a point that we have to cut the abuse off at. Is there not? Well, one of the mayors of one of the cities around here has come up with an idea. We'll talk about that. And then Don Robertson joins. We'll talk about Mackenzie Hughes. We'll talk about the Kentucky Derby coming up this weekend. Didn't know that? That's kind of our point. Stick around. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. As you know, if you have not just moved to Hamilton within the last nine minutes, LRT is back on the front burner and has been front burner, back burner, front burner, back burner, but it's been at at least a good simmer for the last seven, eight, nine years, sometimes a rolling boil. Right now it's moving back towards the ladder. And look, I think we all at this point probably acknowledge that it's never going away. You and I will all be dead. Mayor Fred Eisenberger Jr. the ninth in the year 3000 will be trying to lobby to get the LRT through at some point. But there is a story that is back, as I say, on the front burner again, because we're waiting for a report from the government and and there are those who are saying, no, no, it's time to reconsider this again. One of the things that hasn't come up, and I'm shocked it hasn't among all the other discussions, is what's happening and has happened in Ottawa, Edmonton, to some degree Waterloo, serious problems with their LRT systems. Ottawa's has been a complete and unfettered disaster from the finish. The trains showed up late. I don't mean late at the station. I mean, they were delivered late, went over budget, have lost powers, doors won't close. They couldn't handle snow on the tracks, couldn't run in hot temperatures, couldn't run in cold temperatures. The tracks have buckled and cracked. The tires have cracked, on and on and on. Uh, Edmonton has had signaling problems. It's had track failures due to extreme cold weather Uh, Now there's a new stretch of LRT being built way behind, three years, something like that, behind. Waterloo came in late, then had a bunch of issues with accidents with trains and cars because of some road design. So I want to know, if we were to get an LRT, how can we be sure we don't end up with similar problems or other problems? Let me bring in Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr. He represents the downtown. This would run through his ward. He's very involved in this. Uh, Councillor Farr, thanks for doing this today. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate being on again. Well, and last time we tried to get you, you were up relaxing up north. I think uh, if I were you and everyone else these days, I think I probably would have just stayed up north. (laughs) (laughs) And we only had the the cottage booked for a week, so... (laughs) Next next year, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Five months, five months. Listen, I, I realize you. I've heard you talk about holidays before. I get to that ten day mark and I die to get. Yeah, home. that's true. I, I love that's the true. seven, eight, nine days, and then I'm dying to get home. I can't go two weeks. I don't know what it is. I get home I, sick. Yeah, I could stretch it to two, but you're right. You're right. Yeah. Listen, on the one hand, I realize this is an unfair question in a sense to ask you or any city councilor because the city wouldn't be doing the construction of an LRT project if we were to get one here in Hamilton. It would be a third party. So it, it's not really the city's question, is it? Uh, no, and, and, and I don't mind doing the hypothetical with you now and again. I, I don't like doing it all the time. And uh, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, there are a lot of 
yings and yangs out there over a decade now in this city with respect to LRT and you know some of the ones that stand out for me Scott are when it's called a streetcar it's not a streetcar it's a separate dedicated line and you know I don't I can go on and on and the arguments have have uh, resonated uh, in your newspapers and your radios and so forth but uh, yeah my, my prevailing response to you is what we have in Hamilton is a design build, finance, in the keywords, operate and maintain for 30 years. We never did get to the point we had a shortlisted consortia of three different companies, combined companies, but we never did get to the point of who was going to make us the best off- offer on that operate and maintain design, build, finance uh, schematic. And ultimately, for 30 years, it would have been their responsibility. So if you're the big consortia building the LRT, with 17 stops on the B line in Hamilton, that's going to bring billions of dollars of urban renewal. It's going to be better for our environment, so on and so on and so on. I'm getting the plugs in where I can. You're going to do the best job you can because you know the operating and the maintaining are a key part of that 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 uh, contract, that 30 year deal you're signing with Metrolinx and ultimately the city. So you're going to do the best job you can. Now, into the hypothetical, are there going to be problems? Major, major projects. You, I can't argue with you. I followed closely what happened with the Ion in, in Kitchener-Waterloo, quite obviously, with uh, you know the, the O-Line and the OC Transpo in, in Ottawa. You, you, fair enough. In Edmonton, that was very early on with the signals issues that they had. But, you know, a lot of these cities are, are, are doing very, very well now and, and getting over those, 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 you know, project issues that they had uh, from the uh, onset of the launch. <clears throat> how much control though? So if we, if we do a design build and Hamilton is getting this, how much control does Hamilton have over the build and over overseeing the construction and the project as it's being designed and built? So we are, we, it, what I understood was we, we did oversee construction through various phases. We would see through various phases, working with our partners, with Metrolinx, and obviously with the winning consortia. We never did get, unfortunately, to the point, council never did, and then ultimately the public never got to see the devils in the details in the, mem- in the memorandums of understanding, right? So the contracts were close, but we never did get there because uh, Carolyn Mulrooney came to town with an announcement that she never made, but ultimately <laughs> it, it, uh, it was that uh, they were scrapping the project at that point in time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Jason, when I asked you just before the break about how much control the city has over this, in the back of my mind, and I think in a lot of people's minds, is the stadium situation where the city really had no control over the stadium and we're still dealing with stuff that has to be repaired in that one. And I think that idea that the city just gets someone to do it for us with no oversight makes people very, very nervous for something like this. Uh, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. I mean, we built um, infrastructure Ontario decades ago in this province to to try to alleviate those issues, to oversee con- major construction projects. And obviously, we always want to invest in our communities, and that's what makes this province a powerhouse. I mean, the, thing, the fact that we sort of looked at big projects like that and looked at return on investment, but we also wanted to get, you know, confidence. We wanted to get that buy-in from 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 residents and we want we want that all the time and you know infrastructure ontario is famous for um you know um uh, under uh promising and over delivering now they've they've got they turn it into an artwork had a bit of a hiccup with uh the stadium obviously but we we you know have to we don't have the 
the staffing, uh, the construction workers, the expertise in engineering, and the many, many expertise uh, needed to uh, different people with expertise needed for major projects. And so you you do outsource, obviously, these projects. And sometimes uh, these consortia, uh, it just takes one of the uh, smaller companies or mid-sized companies involved in the consortia to have their own issues and that could mess up the whole ball of wax or slow things down or cause, uh, you know, like we had with, as I recall, with the stadium, something to do with rebar issues where it was placed in the wrong way and, and not built for stadium standards, but instead for, you know, stairs or something. So, so you know, I, I don't want to, um, you know, look like I'm defending major uh, problems when it comes to huge infrastructure projects but i you know it's it's it happens it happens probably scott all over the world it's not great when it happens it doesn't do wonders for you know uh, the confidence of the citizens who either have been giddily looking forward to those major infrastructure projects stadiums or lrts or have been arguing for years against them so it's tough. Uh, you, you have to build in, you know, you know, contingencies are very, very important. And there's a lot of lawyers involved too, Scott. I, is there any way to ensure that it doesn't happen? I mean, I suppose if there was Ottawa and Edmonton, for example, wouldn't be in the position they're in. If there was a way to guarantee that you don't end up with something like this. Um, I mean, my thought is, would, would would the stadium have been a in a better spot if Hamilton had been able to oversee the construction more closely? I don't know what the answer to that is. Well, my, I know we had building inspectors going through. I mean, there were it wasn't like it was uh, or we were uh, blindfolded uh, during the entire two and a half years where the thing was erected. So there were different things things that we caught after the after the fact too that fell under those those contingencies those those um, you know. Uh, uh, contract uh, uh, negotiations that said, you know, you'd be responsible for such and such a time if something goes wrong or there's a deficiency here, a deficiency there. So so it's not like it's completely hands-off, but it, it's hard. I, I mean, I challenge you to find a major infrastructure project that didn't have, you know, over-budget issues or, or, uh, or some other, you know, uh, issue with regards to... These are very, you know, detailed... Uh, intrinsic types of uh, uh, projects that, uh, you know, involve a lot of people and in a lot of cases, a lot of companies. And, you know, it's it's never seems to be perfect. I, I, I did a little Google search knowing the theme of our chat today, and I I had a tough time finding a project. I didn't, I couldn't in the short time that I had find a project, at least where it came to light rail, that didn't have you know, hiccups that that wasn't a little over budget or wasn't delayed or, or um, the launch took longer than normal because of, uh, you know, deficiencies that were found once the cars arrived or cars being late, as an example. So, yeah, I wish I could say that uh, it's rare, but it doesn't seem to be. And it's not exclusive to this city, that's for sure. Well, it's not exclusive to this city at all. Uh, and that's kind of the point. And, and I got to tell you that that's not the most reassuring answer. No. <laughs> that they all go wrong or they all go over or whatever, but, but I mean, you know, I, I don't believe I'm not pointing the finger at Hamilton and saying somehow just because we're Hamilton, it's going to get screwed up right. to the contrary. The, the whole reason for this discussion is it seems that everywhere there are big problems and how do we make sure that we don't have them? And I, and I honestly, I don't know that there's an answer. Well, you know, again, it comes back to full circle. We tried to build into our contract that I guess the public didn't get to see and maybe soon will if uh, all things work out uh, for the beeline down here. But 
it, it really you do dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's to cover your butt as a municipality. And when you have it, there's not a lot of, uh, of, of uh, examples of a design, build, finance, operate and maintain a 30-year contract. And so you have on one side a consortia that gets that, really wants that contract to do a terrific job because it's their responsibility for three decades. And then you've got a community that's pressing all the time and making sure through, you know, a lot of meetings with lawyers uh, that, that that there's ironclad, uh, devil in the details, uh, you know, design, build, operate, maintain clauses. So so when things do go wrong, you know who has to you know flip the bill to fix whatever it is, and that's going to be the consortia, right? I just we never got to the point to get to see that contract. Council didn't, and neither did the public because the plug got pulled. Ward two councillor Jason Farr, always appreciate the time. I'll let you head back up north now. I wish. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last week or on the weekend, sometime recently anyway, I saw a video, ironically, on social media featuring my next guest. And he was beginning anyway at that time to make the case for something called the social media neutral zone. Fancy name. Social media neutral zone. It sounds a little like the Korean DMZ, except instead of the North and South Korea, it's Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Anyway, as I watched the video, I wondered how many other public figures like him were quietly applauding this idea that he was bringing forward and how many on the flip side, how many keyboard warriors were already typing more nasty names towards him for coming up with such a stupid idea in their mind. Anyway, let me bring him in. He's the mayor of Niagara Falls. His name is Jim Diodati. He joins us now. Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, let me let me dive into this. What what are you, what you're proposing, as I understand it, with the social media neutral zone is sort of setting a tolerance level for social media discourse. Would that be fair? Yeah, that's that would be fair. Which so which which I, means what? Well, you know what? It seems the social media has is a double edged sword. In one way, it's great because you have access to everybody from the comfort of your computer. But that's also the downside, that you have access to everybody from the comfort of your computer with all of your innermost thoughts, including some pretty toxic, venomous, evil thoughts that some people seem to have. And during COVID, we found a lot of people have really polarized, and the anxiety, the cortisol, the stress has brought out the worst in a lot of people to the point that people will say just about anything on social media. There seems to be no boundaries, no lines. And finally, I, I had enough. And it, not just for me, from what I'm hearing, I'm watching good people that I know in our community saying really rotten things to others. And I, and I, and I hear the discussions people are having. They're saying, wow, did you hear this? Did you see what someone said? And people will say to me, I can't believe the things people post on your page, there's not enough tea in China. I, for all the money in the world, I couldn't do your job. And I said, well, why didn't you weigh in? Oh, no, 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 because I don't want them to point their guns at me. So there's a lot of people that claim to be innocent bystanders. And I say, there's no such thing. If you're a bystander, get engaged, call people out. The bullies don't like to be called out, so you got to call them out. And that changes everything. When you shine a light on them, they like to hide in the anonymity of social media and their keyboard. you got to call them out. you got to shine the light on them and say, listen, it's okay to criticize. I totally am good with criticism, and I have thick skin. 
I was in business 25 years before I've been, I've been mayor now for 10 years and I've seen a lot, done a lot and I'm okay. I know it's a blood sport, but even in war, there's rules of engagement. There's a Geneva convention, even in mixed martial arts, you can't bite, you can't gouge eyes. There are rules. And same with this here, it seems, but social media, anything goes, you can say anything true or not hateful or not. Go ahead and say it, see what happens. And I think it's time that there's got to be some rules of engagement. There's got to be some idea that it's okay to criticize, but there is a line. Clearly, um, I mean, look, every, everybody may believe this, but it's not really until it hits you that you probably become very, very aware of this. What are some of the things that have been said about you? That, that, that you're able to repeat on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just, I'll give you one example. One thing I was called an ass hat, ass hat. And I had to Google it. I, I thought I never heard of the term. What I'm assuming it's not nice. I better look <laughs> it up. That's probably a good or, assumption. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. And, uh, but, but now I know it. And, and I, I kind of laugh actually a lot of my buddies and I've got those kind of crazy buddies that they're all making jokes about it, you know? And I mean, we're, we're trying to laugh about it and, and it's a serious thing, but we're laughing about it because for me, yeah, I've got thick skin and I'm used to it and I've, I've heard it all. It's more for the vulnerable people that haven't heard it or the people that can't, you know, they're afraid there may be, you know, when you look at this, one in five people suffer from mental health uh, challenges. We know that counseling is up 50% during COVID because of the stress. A lot of people are vulnerable and they can't handle this kind of stuff. And if it was your kid being bullied or cyber bullied, you wouldn't tell them, oh, shake it off. Oh, grow thicker skin. Uh, you know, get over it. You wouldn't tell them that because, I mean, to a degree, they got to get used to it. It's a tough world out there. But there's also a limit to how much they can handle and how much they can digest. And that's why we've got such high teen suicide rates, because it seems there's no limits to some things. And as adults, I think we've got to take the bull by the horns and just say, hey, listen, there's got to be some rules. You can't drive your car at any speed. There are certain rules you got to follow. And if you don't, there's consequences, because in life, there's consequences when you do good things. There's consequences when you do bad things. And yes, we do keep score. So, so what are you? So what are you doing then? You know, what what is this? What are you hoping to do? What is the? What are the rules? What's the neutral zone that you're trying to create here? Well, there's a number of things that we're trying to do. Number one, we put a bunch of graphics together that anybody can use, and they can put them on their page. As a matter of fact, I was just speaking with uh, with a major board of education who want to utilize this whole idea because they can't believe either what's been said. And I happen to know that a lot of media has to regularly take down posts. It's not about freedom of speech. It's, 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 we, we believe in that, but there's even that, there's a limit to what you can say. So the idea is that we're going to call people out when they cross that line, when they're outright lies, when they're hate, when they're just venomous, toxic, toxic kind of comments, we're going to delete them and I'll delete the comments and I will block the people. And I tell them it is not, uh, it's a luxury to be able to be on my page. It's not a right. And if you cross the line, if you break the rules, if you're disrespectful, it's okay to disagree. It's not okay to disrespect. And if you choose to just know that it's one strike, it's not baseball, it's one strike, you're out. And, and you won't be allowed to post anymore. And as long as they know up front, and if you want to say that kind of stuff, do it somewhere else. You're not going to do it on my page anymore. You know the old, like, mom used to say, my house, my rules. 
And if you don't like the rules, you know, there's the door, son. So, and, and we're just saying, listen, we're, we're not saying that you can't have to agree with everything we say, and you don't have to say all nice things, but you got to do it in a respectful way. That's all we're saying. And if not, we're going to do and, and I see this picking up momentum. I don't know, the, between my social media posts, there's well over 20,000 or 25,000 uh, views, and I can't tell you the, the thousands of messages and uh, the things that I've received because I know we're not unique here. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The difficulty, Mr. Mayor, with this, there's a couple of them. One of them I think is pretty obvious, and that is um, you can block someone on your Facebook page, let's say, but there are so many different social media worlds that people can live in um, that it's going to be almost impossible to stop this or to stop them from saying those things. If you, if you stop them on Facebook, they go to Instagram. You stop them on Instagram, they go to Twitter. It's going to still happen. Yeah, it, it absolutely will. But what I find, Facebook is the worst place. Um, there's a lot more positivity and a lot more things on, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Twitter, I think that are more uplifting. I mean, that's not to say it's all good because it's not all good. It's good and bad. But Facebook seems to, for some reason, be the dwelling place for a lot of these people that really enjoy um, ganging up on somebody with an idea that's different than their own. You know, even, I have to say, I reached out to Gordon Krantz, the mayor of Milton, longest-serving mayor in Canadian history, at 40 years, and even longer than Hazel now, and I asked him, I said, have you ever seen anything like this before? And, I mean, you've seen a lot. You've been around. Have you seen anything like He said, not even close. Nothing even approaches what's happening right now during COVID, and it's really amplified the social media, and it's really polarized opinions. It seems it's pushed people farther out, and and the last six months has been unlike anything I've ever seen before, and I know we're creatures of routine. We like our uh, predictability, and our routine's been thrown off. I mean, kids are out of school, people aren't working, uh, we can't go to our regular hangouts, we can't do the things that we normally like to do, and everybody is just out of sorts. It's been the hottest record, uh, summer on record, and everything is just pilot. We can't go across the border. We've got a lot of crazy things happening in the U.S., and I just think people are they're being affected by it. We're social beings, and it's having an impact. And no, we can't stop it. Can't stop anything. And you, you can't adjust. You can adjust your sales. So that's what we're going to do. And and start a trend and start calling people out because no one event is going to stop everything. But in the same way, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. That's the approach we're going to take. And we're just going to say we're not we're not going to accept this anymore. And we invite anyone else to take the same approach. And if you had enough, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, well, then do something about it. And so I'm doing something about it, and I'm telling people. And they can do something about it, or they can continue to put up with it. But I just want people to know I'm using my platform to let people know how I'm dealing with it and invite them to do the same. The other thing, and you already touched on it a little bit, is uh, you are an elected official. You're a public official. There's going to be a very fine line I think people are going to see between you blocking something and the discussion of free speech how do you how do you navigate that how do you make sure that it's not just cutting down on free speech well and and that was what i was most sensitive to scott and i don't want people to think that this is about stifling free speech it's not i believe in that and and we still want their opinions and i as i said earlier disagreeing is fine disrespecting is not and there's a big difference and i I think I illustrated earlier, even in war, you know, there are rules. And even in mixed martial art, 
fighting, there are rules or things you cannot do or you will be disqualified. And in this case here, even the media takes down posts that cross that line. I know that for a fact. So we need to understand there, there are lines and they need to be drawn and people need to know where they are and they need to respect. And when you cross that line, there's consequences. And in this case here, I'm not in any way stifling public opinion, uh, disagreement. Uh, even if you want to take shots at me, I'm okay with that because people do it on a regular basis. The key is you got to do it in a respectful way. It's how you say it. That matters. Words have meaning. Words have power. And we want to say a good example for our kids. And you don't just start swearing at people or calling them crazy names or mini Trump or, like I said, the list went on and on. There were some real creative names, and some of them I had to look up because not names that I was used to. And hmm. people need to realize, because they don't realize, even I saw Jimmy Kimmel do it one day. He talked about, the, and you think a guy like him, he's entertaining people, he's having fun putting smiles on your face that people would just have all good things to say. And I couldn't get over some of the things he's been called and things people have said about him. And I want people to realize we're all in the same boat. We're all in this together. Nobody is immune to this. And I just wanted people to know that, and, and I'm in the same boat as well, so I'm going to try to use my position to encourage people to do the right thing so we can have good, mature dialogue, and it's constructive, not destructive, and we can move the ball forward instead of wrecking the ball. Jim Diodati, the mayor of Niagara Falls, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share with your listeners. It is, uh, it is a really interesting idea. I, I mean, for obvious reasons, because we do have a problem. I think everyone acknowledges we do have a problem with social media. It is a toxic pit of slime a lot of the time. The tricky part here, especially for an elected official, is finding that line. Because, look, if you're just eliminating people who are being vile and abusive, I don't think too many people are going to have an issue with that. It's the first politician. I'm not saying the mayor, but I'm saying the first politician who follows this example and takes something down that isn't really that, but is critical. Now you run into a whole different set of problems. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in a guy who um, has probably written a few eights on a scorecard over the, over the years. Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys of Calm Choice Realty of a variety of other things and a man who I am led to believe via video evidence played at Copetown Woods Golf Course today. I don't know if it was 9 or 18 and I can't tell you if he put an 8 at any point down in his scorecard. Maybe he'll own up. Don? I did not have a chilly score um, and I didn't play golf at Copetown Woods today. So there's, You didn't? There's obviously some fabricated uh video evidence of me well maybe was it did you play recently yeah a while ago a couple weeks ago oh well maybe i got some old maybe i got some old video because i have a i have video of don robertson walking past the clubhouse still doing up his pants (laughs) where the hell did that come from well, I can't re- betray my sources. Let's just say I'm very confused about whether you were not wearing pants in your cart or, or whether I was just, you know, the, the pants were getting done up a little late, all things considered. You were on the course almost when the pants were being done up. Wow. I want to see, I I want to see that video so I can take it down. Oh, it's not up anywhere. I have not posted. I don't want to get sued. 
<laughs> well, how do you have it? And I have contacts and sources. Oh, oh. People with cameras everywhere, just watching Don Robertson. Anyway, yeah, there you go. Mr. Forth. There you go. Yes, it's, uh, we'll get, we'll get back to that one later. We'll try and sort out you know the case I, of why I, Don did not have you, his pants on on the golf course later. After your last segment, and penises being used when they shouldn't and thinking you've got false penises and so on, it's a great way to open this segment. Yeah, that'll be the last time we talk about that on this segment too, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> let me go to, uh, we are on golf though, and you know, it's it's ironic that we're going to start here because we talked about this last week and I had no idea last week that what we were going to, that what we talked about and what we were going to be discussing would be so applicable again the week after. And what we said last week, if people were listening last Monday night, we were talking about Mackenzie Hughes, who's from Dundas, who's on the PGA Tour, and we were talking about how tough a time he seems to have getting any kind of attention when he's playing well on tour. And this <laughs> weekend was the BMW Championship. It was part of the playoffs. Only the 70 top golfers in the world were there. They were vying for a chance to finish in the top 30 to have a chance to go to the tour championship next week. But again, the 70 top golfers in the world. And for most of the week, Don McKenzie was either first or second place. The guy was right up there on the leaderboard with the best golfers in the world. And again, the guy cannot get on TV. And, you know, I understand they want stars and I understand they want to show Tiger Woods do everything and I understand they want, the, I, I just don't get it. I, I am at the point where I don't, under, I understand if he was 10th or 12th or 15th or 20th that you wouldn't, but he was second and they still ignore him. It is bizarre to say the least. He's, uh, he's an excellent young man. He has no baggage. There's no reason not to, other than he's not an American. And um, I I don't get it. After Saturday's round, which would have completed three rounds of the second leg of the what the PGA call their playoffs, he and Dustin Johnson were the only two to shoot shoot rounds below, and they both did it. They've done it twice below par, and you couldn't find you couldn't find him with a search warrant on on Sunday. On the first hole, he gets a birdie, and I'm going. What a great start. Then I realized it's over 40 feet, and I think you might find it on YouTube if you can search it. I mean, it was absolutely bizarre. You're right. I mean, there, uh, if, if Tagger was going to take his golf glove off, it was big news, and, and, and he was 10 over par. It was bizarre. I know he sizzled, but, boy, he flamed out. It was over with. And, and who was the other guy? They kept showing all the time and say, saying he's wasn't Thomas, was it? I mean, Adam Scott was on there a lot. There was a lot of Adam Scott. Adam Scott and, yeah. And I and wonder if that's just because well, he's got the wonky, Adam, he's got the wonky putter. He's got the long putter, so he looks funny. And so maybe that's it. I don't know. But but he was absolutely out of it. And they talked about what a poor day he was having and, you know, uh, you know, what a poor guy. See, we all feel bad for him. And then finally, um, when they have absolutely no choice, because there's only four golfers left on the golf course, and Mac bogeys the 17th, and 
people like you and I are going, boy, this is not good. Because on the Friday, he double bogeyed 18. He was four over on Friday. He was four over in the last four holes, which had he not have done that, he may well have won the tournament, but that is part of the game. I mean, you got to play all the holes. And he just smokes one down the 18th, and he's got a shot to the green that looks like most, you know, six handicappers could put it in the middle. He drops it in the sand trap. And uh, then they got to talk about him, right? And they did. And they, they did a nice job, and they did a nice interview afterwards. And Mackenzie Hughes, being a good Canadian kid, thanked everybody back home and thanked his wife and his kids and everybody else. And good for him to jam that in there because uh, he doesn't get enough opportunities. Uh, well, he doesn't. And, and and again, I mean, it sounds, I, I suppose some people are saying, you guys talked about this last week. Last week was last week. This week was even more egregious in my mind because, again, he was in the top two. And, and your point, and I know a lot of people are saying, well, it's an anti-Canadian thing. They only want to show the Americans. Except way before he was in the position to win, they were showing Rom all the time, who's Spanish, and they were showing Neiman, who is Chilean, over and over, and they were showing Matsuyama, who, now he started the day in the lead, but quickly fell off, and he's obviously Japanese. Um, like, it's not like they wouldn't show non-Americans. They, they, of course, you're right. They show Tiger Woods no matter what he does. And they were going to show Dustin Johnson. And I understand that Dustin Johnson is the best player on tour right now. And they were going to show Rory McIlroy because he's a star, but it takes a while for Dustin Johnson to walk from his tee shot to where the ball is. And it takes a while for the other guys to, so it means there's time in there to go to other golfers. And for some reason, the other golfers they go to are never Mackenzie Hughes. All right. So this, this just dropped into my skull. I wonder it would be interesting to see who um, the sponsors are of those other guys. Like Titleist is a big sponsor. Like you see their golf ball ads all the time. Mac, Mac is wearing a ping hat. Uh, the Japanese guy's wearing a Lexus uh, logo, Lexus advertised. I'm curious that. But it was the BMW the NBC, championship. I know, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the Lexus, aren't a major sponsor at NBC. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any correlation between a number of the golf sponsors and who you, you'd have to wind the tape back and, and, and do a little bit more in depth than me coming up with off the top of my head, but I'm trying to find a reason. Well, you let know, me give you another one that, uh, that I noticed as the weekend was going along. And then after I had made some notes and started taking some pictures of the screen, cause I wanted to make sure that I could go back and check that I was right about this. And other people started to notice it. And that was, as he was playing, as Hughes was playing, there were often, much of the week, he was tied with someone else, whatever spot he was in. If he was in second, he was tied with, I can't remember who he was tied with in second when he started the the Saturday. Or um, if he was in third, if he dropped down to third, he'd be tied with a group of guys. It didn't matter how many people were in his group of players who were all tied. It didn't matter who was in the group of players with whom he was tied. He was always the last name in that group every single time. And I started going, okay, there's got to be rhyme or reason to this. Maybe it's who is further along on the course, who's played more holes. No, that didn't turn out to be right. Maybe it's who has the better score that day as opposed to the overall score. No, that wasn't right. Maybe it was FedEx Cup points. No, that didn't work. Or projected FedEx Cup points. No, that wasn't it either. I thought maybe it's world official golf rankings. Turned out that wasn't it. 
it appears best we can tell it's just who they think they're going to stick at the bottom. And it, you know, Don, again, I go back to my point and I know it sounds perhaps a little whiny. I don't even know, but this is not a guy who no one had ever heard of because he'd never played a tournament before. And all of a sudden was there. He's been one of the hottest golfers on tour since they came back from the COVID break. And yeah, you just can't get any kind of recognition from the folks who are doing golf. No, it's, it's, it remains bizarre, and if people think you don't maybe talk about it, I mean, the kid is from Dundas. Um, he's now the top-rated golfer in, in Canada and the world, top Canadian in world rankings. But, but the thing that, that probably crystallizes his accomplishment for me is if you take a look at the top 75, 70 or 75 guys that were there this weekend and look who is not in the top 30, and that will then put some perspective on it to what Mackenzie Hughes has done. Like there are like uh, Phil Mickelson, I don't even think was in the tournament. He was and not. He, he didn't are, make it the week before. So, so again, this is their playoffs. The week before, I think it was 125. Then they go to 70. Then they go to 30. But you take a look at the fabulous golfers that didn't make the top 30. That puts it into perspective. You only need that I really noticed was, is, was Max playing partner. The, where was he from? I can't even say it. Chile, 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 Joaquin Neiman. There you go. Um, so there are a bunch of new guys in the top 30, which put into perspective that there's now room at the top for some young guns. There's a lot of guys under 30 in the mix now. So, but just take a look at who did not make it. If you don't think this is a relevant talk topic, for sports in our area, that putt might be one of Canada's uh, sports highlights of the year. Yeah, let's go to that for a sec, because some people don't know what you're talking about. So on the 18th hole, you had mentioned that he bogeyed 17, so Mackenzie Hughes coming down on 18 has to get a par or better, a par or birdie or eagle, to advance to the playoffs next week. The Tour Championship next week, it's a big deal, and there's a bunch of reasons one is because the winner gets $15 million. Last place out of the 30 next week gets 400000 So the worst he's going to take home is $400,000. That's that's a lot of money to be playing for, a lot of pressure. But it also, getting into that final 30, gives him admission to all the majors next year. The Masters, the U.S. Open, everything. This is a huge deal for him. And he ends up with a five-foot putt that he has to make a five foot putt that is going to either put him in or if he misses is going to send him home. And anyone who has played golf even poorly understands that a five foot putt is no gimme. And if you have that kind of pressure on you, all those majors, all that money, I'm reasonably sure that had I tried to line that up, Don, that I would have wet myself with that kind of pressure and he drilled it. And, and you're right. I think it will be one of the Canadian sports moments of the year. Well, the, the, the only, I mean, you, it's a wonderful description, and that's why you're a, a good sport, a great sports columnist, is because you draw a great picture. What you didn't mention th- that I did, all he had to do was put it on the green, and he put it in the sand trap when his second shot, right? All he had to do was hit the green and two putt. He puts it in the dirt. Yep. So he's got to chip out of the sand trap to within five feet, which makes it even more dramatic because if he doesn't make a great sand save, He's not in a position, like he doesn't want to have to drop a 16-footer. But that 5-footer, I'm sure, looked like about a mile and a half when he was sitting there looking at it. 
Here's what I would suggest. Here's what I would suggest for anybody who golfs even a little bit. Next time you've got a five foot putt, make a bet with whoever you're with. It doesn't have to be for money that you, you know, you got to do something and, and see what the pressure is that suddenly that five foot putt feels like, as opposed to just doing it because you're out there doing it. I mean, it's a, look, it was, it was remarkable. Now here's the thing though. Let's go back to our, our, where we started this for just a moment. Next week is the tour championship, top 30 golfers in the world. The way the scoring system is set up, they reward, (laughs) they reward the people who have done well up to this point. And it's an appropriate thing. It's, it's, it's appropriate that they do this. If you've been great, like Dustin Johnson, you should come into this final tournament with an advantage. There's no question about that. But Dustin Johnson right now will tee off on Friday because it doesn't start Thursday this week. It starts on Friday. Dustin Johnson will tee off on Friday with a score of minus 10 to begin. McKenzie will be at even. So he is starting the tournament 10 strokes out of the lead. It would take a miracle of biblical proportions for him to win this thing. There's no question about that. And my thought and my expectation now, Don, is because you're now starting the tournament 10 strokes out of the lead, if we see McKenzie next weekend at the Tour Championship, it will either be because he gets a hole-in-one or because he gets hit by lightning. I, I mean, uh, uh, short of those two extremes, I just don't expect that we're going to see him on TV at all because he's not going to be in contention, and that's just the reality. <laughs> well, the, 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 the reason that his odds are better to be on TV, and, and you, you may be factually correct, is that there are only 30. That said, they only showed him when they were down to four. So I agree. I mean, it's like home ice advantage and home court advantage and, and everything else. The guys that are on top, are, I heard some squ- or saw some squawking on Twitter today how Max getting ripped off while starting 10 strokes behind. I, I text Mac today, and he, he was kind enough to get back to me. I kind of sent him a quick congratulations. I wasn't going to do it yesterday. And <clears throat> I told him he's got to be a little sharper because it's hard on a – full-figured guy's heart when he's doing that. And he texted me back, he said, it's hard on my heart too. Um, but he's, where can he lose? You're right. Like he's up 400 grand. I don't know what he made yesterday. But with everything else, that is that putt and that 10th place finish is likely the most important finish he's ever had in golf. And he finished 10th. Yep. So if he climbs up, and again, there's only there's only 30 of them. And if nothing else, he may get some he may get some airtime, Scott, by default, by virtue of the fact that he made it the last day and they might have a little feature on a couple of those guys. They did do a feature on the guys that they, they included Mac in that were on the bubble that climbed into the top thirty. So I mean there's a chance, but I I'm with you. I don't think they're just gonna all of a sudden um start featuring Mackenzie Hughes. Sadly. No, and, and when I say when I say show, uh, yeah, you know what they could show a a a small feature. I'm talking about covering golf, and, and I I will put I'll put the over under on ten strokes for the entire weekend that we would see from him. Maybe maybe I'm a little too sh- short on that. Maybe he's gonna by def by default get more. But anyway, I just the problem with this is Don, as we continue to go on about this. 
I don't know that McKenzie honestly cares about it. I think his sponsors do, and I don't really care about the sponsors, quite honestly. They they that doesn't affect me at all. But there's an awful lot of people in this area and in this country that are deeply invested in watching this and are really wanting to see what's going on. And it's for them that I get cranky and get upset because it's like, you're just, you're screwing over a lot of people who want to see this guy. And I'm not saying show every shot, but he basically was Mr. Invisible until you had no other choice on the 18th hole. You can do better than that. That's my point. Uh, Of course they can. And you wrote a great column about it and and, uh, a lot a lot of great little catchphrases you had in it. Like seeing Jimmy Hoffa might, Jimmy Hoffa might've been easier, but I mean, their sponsors do matter. I mean, again, score bet, John Levy, West Hamilton guy. He's been with Max since day one. They deserve better. And I would have thought, but apparently I'm wrong. And that doesn't happen often is that they know it's being carried by CTV TSN up here. You would think if they're broadcasting into another country, they could do a little more. The guy from Chile, they showed almost every one of his tee shots. And the only chance you got to see Mac is Mac is standing in the background watching him hit the ball. Yep. No, I, I, someone said you saw Maybe. Max caddy more than him, which again, it's, it's, I don't get it. I, I mean, I don't get it. I, I, we'll see if it changes. We'll see if another, if getting into this 30 now changes the attitude but even then, I've heard a number of people say, well, you know, look, he, he didn't have a good start to the year and he fluked his way in. Well, you don't fluke your way into the top 30, but there, there, it seems like it's going to continue to be an uphill struggle for the guy from Dundas to convince people that he deserves to get airtime and deserves to be shown because it seems that anytime something happens, there's always a but that goes with it. And I don't know how you shake that. You win five or six more tournaments, maybe. Maybe that does it. I don't know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson is with us as he is every Monday at this time. And Don, you know, I, I saw a story today that I, I really, I, I, it caught me off guard, not because I've not heard of it before, but because, well, let me put it this way. It was a story about the Kentucky Derby that was that runs this Saturday. And I know that once upon a time, the Kentucky Derby was considered one of the premier sporting events of any sport in the world. The Kentucky Derby was one of the biggest things that happened on the sporting calendar. And now I didn't even know it was on. And I would bet you most people don't know it's on. Why has horse racing, do you think, fallen so far from the lofty heights that it once had in the sports pecking order? Or do you think it has? Well, I think it has to a certain extent. I think it's kind of in the same category as heavyweight boxing. I, I'm sure there's two or three world heavyweight boxing champions, but it seems to have lost its luster. People used to get dressed up to go to boxing matches. The Kentucky, Kentucky Derby would draw 100,000 people and 25,000 brand new fashionable hats for the ladies and the men in fedoras, and they, they carry on that tradition. I think one of the big things that have changed in a couple sports like that, Scott, is um, instant, instant, uh, instant TV of an awful lot of sports. I mean, when those, when those items were big, there, there wasn't ESPN, there wasn't Sportsnet, TSN. You know, th- those were big deals on national television, and I think that they're just fighting with so many other sports to get their pound of flesh. I mean... Th- 
the Kentucky Kentucky Derby was a huge event when nobody even cared about the NBA. Yep. So tell tell me about that switch. I don't know what it is. Whether it's the athletes, whether it's the marketing, the presentation. But the and the Kentucky Derby is obviously late this year because of SARS or uh, SARS COVID nineteen. Close but, enough. Um, yeah, same same idea. Pandemic. Anyway, it's 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 different. I don't. I, I assume there won't be hundred thousand people there. I don't know, but you're right. I don't think anybody's upset. It wasn't ran, run in the spring. It's being run in the uh, fall now because it's lost some of the luster. And I think it's because there are so many sports channels now that offer so much more. And maybe that's it. I mean, first of all, under normal circumstances, they would still fill Churchill Downs and the place would still draw the 75 or 100,000 people. That's, that's not the, that's not the issue because it's, it's an event more than anything. I mean, I've thought of going, I've thought of taking my daughter who loves horses and just to see it live and in person. But beyond that, I can't think Don ever in my life, truly, that someone has come up to me and started a conversation about who do you like in the horse race today? Who do you like in the Derby? Who do you like in the Belmont? I, I Now, th- that may just not be the circles I walk in, but once upon a time, it didn't matter what circles you walked in, that would have been the discussion. And I, well, I, I, can... would, be, I would be fascinated if Secretariat was on today, because we think of Secretariat as one of the great stories in American sports history. What would Secretariat be if Secretariat was running today? Not what Secretariat is. No, the legend likely wouldn't be there. You know, I, the analogy I can draw, and I was a kid, and that wasn't two weeks ago. My dad wasn't, like, he didn't watch baseball, football. He wasn't a sports guy. Like, he had very little interest in any sports, but he always watched the Triple Crown, and he always made sure he watched the Kentucky Derby. Now, that'd be 40 years ago, so it was a real big deal to him, and he didn't go to the track. Like, he wasn't a better. He wouldn't, you know, make sure he could get to Flamborough Downs or Woodbine or anything, but the Kentucky Derby was a big thing for him, and in that era. Now, my dad would be 90-plus now, so put that into perspective. I don't know when it started to change, but it was sure a big deal then, mm. but now you're absolutely right, not so much. That's the only... The only thing I got is too much, so much sports on TV. And, and you know what? Let me pick up on that point because I think you may be really onto something there. Uh, specifically with the fact that once upon a time when you didn't have all sports stations, and, and I mean, people forget that even hockey games were not all shown on TV. You had Hockey Night in Canada, and then for a while, you ended up with weeknight games on CHCH around here. And it was, you'd hope that maybe you get a Wednesday night game or something. But much of the sports that you saw was on wide world of sports. And and so when I say what happened to the Kentucky Derby or the Belmont, why are they not a big deal now? Well, look, at one time, the Harlem Globetrotters may have been the biggest, most famous team in all of sports. And when was the last time you saw the Harlem Globetrotters? The only time you see them now is on ads on TV if they're making their swing through southern Ontario. The, the metal but you would never watch it on TV. They're now gone. Yeah, you'd never see them on TV. Oh no, oh no. They, I mean, they they don't even they don't even <laughs> they don't even play Maple Leaf Gardens. I was going to say they don't they don't play uh, Scotiabank Center. They may play Cops, but they're more in the Hershey Center in Mississauga. They're in uh, they play in St. Catharines. Um, you know, those are the venues that they play now because it's not a big deal. You're right. I mean, I was going to say why World Sports. I mean, 
if you wanted to watch sports on the weekend, you had to watch Wide World, Wide World of Sports, and you had to watch ski jumping or whatever yep. they had on if you were a sports guy because that was it. Dick Fettles, Wednesday night on CH and Hockey Night in Canada. And when I was a kid, again, not two weeks ago, Hockey Night in Canada didn't come on until Juliet was over. They didn't even show you the whole game. By the way, can you name the ski jumper who was the guy who crashed at the beginning of Wide World of Sports for the agony of defeat? Skill, it's no, a great I skill can't. testing question that you can win money with your friends on. Vinko Bogatai. Vinko Bogatai. And one of the great stories about him is that when Wide World of Sports had a either their 25th or 30th anniversary gala at one time, and anybody who was anybody in sports who was alive at the time was there. I mean, this was enormous. The most, the guy who was most sought out for autographs and pictures was Vinko Bogatai. Everybody wanted to meet up and get a picture and an autograph from Vinko Bogatai. And I'm talking about the other athletes all wanted to meet the guy who was the agony of defeat. Anyway. Well, how, um, how many pieces was he in? <laughs> well, I thought, yeah, they didn't, uh, they brought him in in four different crates. Uh, <laughs> The other, you know, and the other sport that comes to mind when I think of Wide World of Sports, that again, because of that show, and again, we're, we started this with the Kentucky Derby, and, and I think you're probably, you probably nailed it. The other sport from Wide World of Sports that you never see anymore, and I am a big believer in this, that we should be bringing this back, is skate barrel jumping. <laughs> Remember the skating barrel jumping where the guys would rip around the ice and then try and leap over the barrels and then crash. And it was always a, a Quebec guy named Jean-Pierre and he would end up like wiping out and the barrels would fly everywhere. I, that, that we need to bring back. Well, what it, when it, it turned into a bit of a wimp sport, when they started putting cushions on the end boards, I mean, what, before when they just crashed into the boards, it was uh, more evil Knievel like. That's another guy. Their, their wide world of sports was the Evil Knievel channel. That was, you know, what would Evil Knievel have been today if you didn't have wide world of sports giving him that platform? Perfect well, there example. Are. There are probably Evil Knievel guys out there, but they're playing county fairs in the States. Right? Because it's oh, yeah. not that big a deal. It's, no, they, they do. You know, they, but they, you know, they took their life in their hands every time they did something. Even those barrel jumper jumpers were wearing leather helmets. I mean, holy crap. Uh, they do still have the evil Knievel style stuff. It's the, the Red Bull thing now, I believe it's called. And they, they, they do the traveling road show and they do unbelievably incredible stunts. But unless you're really into that or aware of that, unlike once upon a time when, uh, again, wide world of sports, you would turn on your TV on a, I guess it was a Saturday afternoon. And you had no idea what you were going to watch, but it was going to be cool and it was going to be something different and unique. And if you lucked out that it happened to be the week when you would get a Muhammad Ali championship fight, or you happened to luck out that it was a Globetrotters game or the, you know, it like, we don't have it. You're right. We don't have anything like that now. We just don't, where there is a, a sense of not just the Kentucky Derby is one thing, but the wide world of sports, a sense of surprise and wonder at what you saw because you had no idea what you were tuning in to see. So that, that era is seemingly gone. An era that's new. Here's what all sports television has done with sports of all kinds on. I mean, years ago, if they had a NASCAR race, you know, they were racing and the, the windows were down. The guy had his uh, 
Arms sitting outside the window having a smoke as he drove around. And now NASCAR is such a huge sport because of television, because of the personalities they've made out of it, and again, because of the revenue, because of sponsorship. And, and the NBA, like I said before, the NBA was not a big deal 30 years ago. But boy, it's very powerful now. And, and, and not that long ago, um, NFL players would come up and play in the CFL because they could make just as much money. Now the water boy makes as much as the top quarterback in the CFL. I mean, the NFL water boy. I mean, the dollars and cents that has been created through this type of television and all, and, uh, all sports television and the major networks carrying far more sports and the rivalries that they have, NBC, CBS for golf and Fox and everybody else for NASCAR and the NFL, I mean, it's incredible. But you're right, so many of the old sports have certainly bitten the dust. I mean, the, the, the Kentucky Derby, to go back, is still on a national, you know, it's still on a major network in the U.S., but there's three big races a year. The Belmont, the Preakness, and the um, Kentucky Derby. Other than that, you, you've got to find a race. A racing channel to find racing, horse racing. <coughs> Pardon me. It is, um, it, it is that may, I, I think you may be onto it because I, I can't think of any other explanation other than just tastes changing. And that can happen too. I mean, tastes can change in sports. We see it all the time with different things. It just seems odd that it just seems odd that, um, something that was that high on the pecking order of sports would fall this far. I mean, you, you can see there are sports that sort of come and go and everything else, but it just seems a little weird that it would be that high up. And then it went anyway. Well, um, when you think about the race, I'm sure I got four seconds. I, when you think about the race, it's the most exciting three minutes in sports. I mean, it's not a it can long be. game. It can be it for right. sure. It's a, short, um, it's a snapshot. Vinko Bogatai, by the way, his crash for the agony of defeat on Wide World of Sports 50 years ago this year, 19, March 1970 was when he launched himself into infamy. I wonder if he's still alive. That may be a phone call. We have to try and track down Vinko Bogatai and see if we can get him on the air here. I don't even know if he Where speaks he English. Promise? Slovenia. Slovenia. I'll have to, I'll have to do a little digging. I don't even know if the guy's still alive, but that would be a fun interview to do if we could get him in if he does speak English. We'll see. <laughs> Well, maybe have you on to do it with me. Let's take a, we're going to take a, a goodbye. I don't even know what I'm talking about at this point. I'm so thrown off by all this stuff. Uh, that is our time. Thank you, Don Robertson, for doing this. Thank you, folks, for listening in today. We'll be back at 6 tomorrow. I will, by then, figure out what I'm talking about. We will talk to you then. Have a great night. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.